available. Close enough. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah? How about this? Those both sound great to me. Okay. <laughs> <Chris> doesn't <laughs> have to, okay, we, right, Are we going? We're on. We're live. Okay, folks, you got a little sneak peek into how the sausage is made. We were sort of uh, making sure our levels were correct there as we went live, which, hey, I'm all about it. Uh, felt organic, felt real, giving you some authenticity on this beautiful Monday afternoon here in the low country of South Carolina. Man, do we have a show for you today. If you're just tuning in, this is Steve Fletcher with Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. Steve Fletcher being your host. That is myself. It'd be weird if it was with Steve, but it wasn't Steve Fletcher. Anyway, uh, love doing this every other Monday. It's an opportunity for me to talk with some change makers, some business owners, some artists, some artisans, some uh, sole proprietors, some freelancers, anyone who's doing something here in the low country, which is pretty much everybody. Um, I love chatting with them and getting to know what makes them tick, what inspires them, why they do what they do, where they came from. And Hopefully, at somewhere along the road, we get to understand what their connection is to the low country and particularly the sort of, you know, business ecosystem here. Um, that's what we do at Low Country Local First. We stand up for, advocate for, support local independent businesses, aspiring entrepreneurs, anyone who wants to find a way to do commerce here in the low country and do it in a way where it maximizes the positive impact um, on those who live here in the low country through the raising of the tax base, through all these great things. Um, I'm here today. I'll stop, I'll stop uh, talking at you, and we'll get to the main event, which is uh, a really great conversation, hopefully. Um, it, it will be, in fact, and that will be, as I always say, in spite of uh, yours truly. I've got two great folks on the show today on Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve. We've got Katie Mixon and Maria White. Both of them are Phenomenal artists. I've done a little clicking through on both of their uh, profiles and, and look through their portfolios. Um, as a musician myself for a couple of decades, particularly interested in chatting with them about all things art, and then we'll find ways to parlay it back to the business ecosystem so that I can keep coming over here and my nonprofit lets me talk to people like this every couple of weeks because it's what I want to do. So we'll find a way to make it work. Um, happy and fortunate to chat with both of you. I'm going to let uh, Maria and Katie introduce themselves, but I'll tell you they're both um, incredibly talented artists whose art you can actually go see right now if you're listening in or you're listening to the podcast and you live in Charleston, South Carolina. So that's pretty cool. There's actually even a way to, I think, kind of interface with the artists directly. So I'm going to let you uh, hear it from them directly uh, as I pass over the mic, so to speak, and let them introduce themselves. Maria and Katie, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having us. We're so, excited. Thank you. So, uh, Maria, would you mind just introducing yourself and giving folks a, a sense of who you are, where you're from, what sort of art uh, you create, and why you create it? Yes. <laughs> All in one <laughs> sentence. All in one <laughs> sentence. I'm Maria White, and I am a ceramic artist and independent filmmaker. I'm a mother of two. Been living here in Charleston this go around for about seven years. Um, I've been making ceramics for almost 20 years now. Nice. And um, and then I've made independent films over the years as well, um, some narrative, some documentary. And I work out of a um, communal studio in North Charleston called Studio Union at the moment. Um, before that, I was at Cone 10 Studios, and then before that, was in L.A. for 13 years in my own studio there. Very cool. So currently, I've been a resident at the Gibbs Museum of Art, and I've been able to work on my ceramics there. 
I also started a nonprofit called Mugs for Moms, which does community outreach and raises awareness for mental health, particularly perinatal mental health. Hmm. And we offer support resources and community engagement opportunities. Very cool. And How long has that nonprofit been going? Officially one year. Cool. We started during the pandemic. Thank you. But um, have had fundraising events since 2019. Canceled in 2020, and then we had one in 2021 and, and we're going to have our next one and that's focused here in the low country delivering services to charleston uh, residents absolutely we also are doing a statewide program as well cool. a collaboration and we will ship a mug and information to anybody really though with information and resources wow good for you sounds Thanks. like really important work and i look forward to double clicking as the uh business professionals say on all of that and unpacking a lot of it sounds like you're up to a lot of interesting stuff um katie tell us about yourself yeah i'm katie mixon and uh primarily an oil painter from orangeburg south carolina uh also my second time living in charleston and been here for about three years now we moved right before the pandemic um and i am currently working out of a studio here at the refinery 1630 meeting right across the street oh cool um, yeah, and uh, of course, I'm also a visiting artist at the Gibbs Museum right now with Maria. Um, I'm, I've, like I said, primarily an uh, oil painter, but have been working on a, a lot of different bodies of work since I've been in Charleston. At the Gibbs, I've been doing uh, some quilting. I save all of, I clean my hands when I'm in the studio painting with baby wipes and hmm. end up saving those instead of throwing them away and have been repurposing them as these new quilted paintings. Cool. So There's a local baby white creator here in Charleston. We're looking for sponsors. With, uh, Procter and Gamble, <laughs> yeah, right. hit me up. <laughs> Very um, cool. Yeah. So, I, I, so a, a unique sort of approach, I'd imagine. It uh, it helps me certainly keep my uh, studio sustainable in a way. Um, you Very know, cool. Selfishly, it was just a way of kind of using my trash, which uh, is of course a free material <laughs> and. Um, a great uh, resource, but yeah, it's it's been wonderful, and it's also gotten me out of the studio. You know, as a as a painter, you're sort of isolated a lot of times, working alone, and hmm. um, and now kind of delving into quilting and fiber has really opened up this whole community in Charleston of other quilters, and um, I work with people who have like a long arm machine to help me with some of the process. So, um, hmm. what also, what is that? It's, um, it's, you know, someone kind of described it to me this way, whereas like a, a regular sewing machine, if you were making a drawing with it, would be like moving the paper hmm. around the pencil. Okay. A long arm machine is like actually being able to move the pencil across the piece of paper. So oh. it just gives you this incredible flexibility and um, also scale. You know, the piece I'm working on that gives right now is like 10 feet by 12 feet. Oh, wow. So um, it, it allows me to go really big without, um, you know, having to struggle to get all that material through a, uh, a stationary small uh, sewing machine. Very cool. Well, I yeah. want to talk about, you bring up uh, and a lot there as well that I'd love to chat more about, um, Katie, later in the uh, in the hour. I want to talk about a little bit of, you know, how community slash isolationism plays into some of your work, what it's looked like over the last two years as artists. But first, I want to start out, and we'll get into that, but I want to start out kind of in the present and dig into what you all are up to right now. I think for folks who are listening in um, to the live broadcast, you're here in Charleston, you like art because you're a living human being with a, with a heart and you want to go see more great art locally made. 
here's how you do it. There's, there's an incredible opportunity to interact directly with some local artists. They're here on the show. You're listening to them. Would you mind sharing with the good people out there how they can come experience your art and chat with y'all? Totally. They can, um, well, of course, come to our studios, either at 1630 Meeting or... Studio Union Studio in North Union. Charleston. And where is Studio Union? 2010 Hackman Avenue, just okay. off Sproul. Okay, off Sproul. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, they can message me if they want to come by. And then, you know, Katie's at the Gibbs a little bit longer. I'm going to be there a few more days before okay. I transition back over to my space. But I do have work there in the museum shop that they can see firsthand and nice. can check out. Yeah, and just to let people know, the Gibbs Museum, the first floor is free, which is where our studios are located. It's oh, also okay. where there's a small um, exhibition space for local artists, and of course, the gift shop. Their gift shop is packed full with local artists of all sorts. So um, it's, you know, you don't even have to pay admission to come in. You can kind of wander in and, and check out the first floor Cool. Um, free of entry. So that's awesome. And what are the general hours for the Gibbs if someone wanted to wander in there? Ten to five. Ten to five. Okay. Monday through Friday or seven days a week. Actually. Oh, okay. Seven on days Sunday a week. it's twelve mm-hmm. to five, one to five, something like that. They mm-hmm. have a little bit reduced hours on Sunday, but every other day is ten to five. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Gibbs is a great, um, a great institution, a great um, opportunity for anyone who, I, I mean, my wife and I, I was mentioning, we were talking earlier, uh, we enjoy art, we you know create art to a degree, um, we need to do a better job at, I think, like, A, patronizing art and artists um, intentionally and doing so regularly, but also taking advantage of all these cool ways to do that physically, like at brick and mortar locations here, whether it's an artist studio or it's a band playing out live in some place you hadn't been to yet, or it's the Gibbs, right? So the Gibbs have been around for, for decades here. I'm saying decades because I didn't do my homework and look that figure up before this conversation. Do you all know how long the Gibbs have been around? 100 years. Yeah, like, yeah 100 yeah. years, something like that. Okay, they, wow. They told us that it's the only... Um, uh, building downtown that still used as its original purpose whenever mm-hmm. it was built, oh, cool. which was sort of like an art school mm-hmm. and exhibition space. Very cool. Yeah. So that gives us something that people should check out. I should do more of it myself. I want to definitely go check out both of y'all's work um, and uh, and make that happen. And I know that there have been interesting ways, particularly recently, that commerce and enterprise has sort of intersected with the Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, I'm thinking back to, I think it was the Butch, it was Butcher and Bee or the Daily. I think the Daily had or has kind of a little pop-up in the Gibbs. No longer. Not, no longer? No okay. Longer. So now that's a, it's a exhibition space for visiting artists, in fact. So we okay. will have a joint exhibition there oh, cool. in May. Nice. Um, yeah, it opens May 6th. May 6th. May 6th, yes. okay. So they're using that kind of for more mm-hmm. art showcasing very cool yes glad you the pandemic i don't know if that was part of the transition out of the um i think that a lot to do with it yeah Mm -hmm. okay but um as long as you didn't tell me it turned into like a starbucks or something so (laughs) we we do a lot of supporting advocating for local independent businesses absolutely you walk down to harkin you get a great coffee and then you come into the gibbs yeah exactly exactly Exactly. (laughs) um that's awesome. So tell me about, so we know where to find you on right now and what mm-hmm. you've been up to presently. Walk me maybe backwards from that. I'm particularly interested about making art in the low country. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Uh, how much of the low country or Charleston are you drawing on for inspiration, if at all? And if so, what does that, what does that look like to someone who maybe isn't an artist but is tuning in? We have a lot of folks who listen into this program who are like, 
you know, buttoned up business owners and, and they're looking for, uh, they're, they're looking for like stock information, not like they're looking for it from me, but they're, they're, they're sort of, you know, they're, there's a certain dimension to, I think this program that we, um, explore that, uh, I think the fact that we have two artists on gives us an opportunity to further expand that envelope. So I'd love to just chat about kind of how, artists create art and I want to tie that into the low country. So tell me, tell me a little bit about being an artist here in Charleston. What is that like for you, Maria? So for me, I actually do meditate a lot on forms and textures I find in nature and I'm very interested in light on forms. So I'm very influenced by the environment here. We're in this very rich ecosystem here and I don't deliberately copy what I see, but mm-hmm. definitely influenced by forms and colors. Cool. And my work is functional and decorative, but also I want it to be used, perceived as objects of beauty or objects that may resonate with someone as a meditation on nature. And mm. I want them to be touched. I want them to be used. So that's, for me, that's always been an influence. Even when I was in Los Angeles making pots, I still mm. drew on my time in the low country and now that I'm back, even more so. And ceramics is very utilitarian. So tell Can me be. more about how you perceive of your art. Are you selling it? Are you? Is it being used by people in their homes, by chefs in their restaurants? Are you also showcasing it in studios and in exhibitions? A little bit of everything. Talk to me about that. I will invade every space I can. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my my work, fortunately, has been featured in films. Oh, wow. Um, I've worked with production designers. I've also worked with chefs in Los Angeles and um, designers here in Charleston. Um, I have my work is in the Post House in Mount Pleasant. Oh, cool. Um, it's in some restaurants in Los Angeles. It's been in different films. Post House, beautiful, locally owned restaurant yes. in Mount Pleasant. Go check yes, it out. Yes, it's, it's, it's fabulous. Um, and then... I will also make work for clients if they want something specific. But then as far as getting my work out in the world, selling it, I do craft shows. I, I put my work in different shops, stores, museums. I'm very open to where the work goes. So that's, that's yeah. mostly how I... So for work. someone listening, because I'd never want to forget um, how... Uh, I never want to forget about uh, making it as easy as possible mm-hmm. for listeners of the program to patronize, to support... Um, folks who are uh, on here as guests, how can people find you and find your art? So my website that I sell off of directly Mm -hmm. um, to consumers is mariawhite.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at mariawhitestudio. My work is in a few local places. Um, It's at the Gibbs. It's also going to be at the Charleston Place Hotel starting this week, actually. And then I sell directly out of my studio. Also, um, Heart of Gold has some of my work out of hand. Those are some local places. And then Show and Tell Art and Design, which is an amazing pop-up that happens mm-hmm. in Sullivan's Island from yep. time to time. Leela Davenport Ross, my, yep. she's carried my work for years now. That is really an exciting opportunity to see local work. Cool. So I'm, that's where I locally show. I love it. You're very synced in with the local <laughs> independent scene. Charleston yeah. Place famously is, is, is becoming locally owned again. Um, which is awesome to see. So that's great. So you're kind of everywhere for folks here. They can go, they're fortunate enough to be able to go see your work physically and, 
and patronize you in a lot of different ways here locally. Check out mariawhite.com. Katie, tell us about your work, where we can find your work. I remember reading about it, and it sounded like such a unique... I didn't even know about the baby wipes yet. And I thought, (laughs) man, this is like a really amazing, incredibly creative, one-of-a-kind approach to art. Dig into what you do and, and how you arrived at that technique and, and and then where folks can find a little bit more yeah if, uh, people can find me um, obviously my website is mixonstudio.com um, it's M-I-X-O-N M-I-X-O-N and I have a lot of work on that um, it's not in Charleston but I have a show up right now at Hodges Taylor Gallery in Charlotte so that's not too far away another cool. um, place that they can uh, find and support work right now um, and I would say anyone interested in stock should definitely get interested in contemporary <laughs> art. Um, Charleston is <laughs> growing tremendously right now. And, um, you know, art is, art is a great, you know, and buy it because you love it, but it's mm-hmm. a great investment. And sure. then exactly. you're also investing in a local arts uh, community that can continue showing and making and um, connecting. So Love that. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, my family's in farming and so I, I think about kind of that as a, a lens through, to see through, you know, what I'm doing. I think of what I'm doing as very seasonal. I, Mm. I start out with, um, paintings on panels and then I'm kind of carving into those and, uh, harvesting the chips of paint and I turn those into sculptures and installations and, Mm. like I said, I save the baby wipes that I use to clean my hands and turn those into quilts, so really trying to sort of visualize this, um, this cyclical ecosystem through paint. And, um, you know, I think Charleston's the perfect place to do that. And everything right now is we're all having to sort of deal with flooding and sustainability yeah. and mm-hmm. how we um, think about our relationship to the environment and, um, and uh, how we manage that. So I'm really interested in how, in how to visualize that kind of system in um because it feels so large and abstract sure um and of course abstraction is is a fun uh, fun place to play for me so mm-hmm. uh, all through color and texture and um building out this you know for me everything is is related to painting but i'm always trying to extend that in as many ways as possible and um, most recently i've started these uh, wood sculptures, painted wood hmm. sculptures. I, I also work with someone uh, locally who um, he the shop is Distressed Timbers and he makes my panels and um, structures for me. Cool. So another way that I've kind of reached out to someone local. Love it. Yeah, tried to incorporate as many. Charleston has a great creative community um you know we've we've been here now Truly. for about three years and have just been totally overwhelmed with how enveloped uh we felt between the ceramic studios here and a lot of woodworkers mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and again like i said the quilting here there's so many tra- uh, craft traditions mm-hmm. to really tap into and it seems like since the pandemic a lot of people are have gone back to making things by hand, Hmm. even if Mm -hmm. they weren't full-time artists. So, you know, that's one thing about the Gibbs that's been great is there's been a lot of artists who have come in and, um, and introduced themselves. And, uh, it's been a great way to kind of connect with other people in Charleston and beyond who are, who are making things and Mm -hmm. 
all sorts of ways, kind of keeping their hands busy, I think, during a very unstable and uncertain moment. Very cool. But yeah. It seems like Charleston is really, you know, the community's been very supportive. So um, it's been good, you know, nice to see that there's kind of space to make and move and show and lots of good response. That's too. great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So there's an exhibition at the end of this six-week six run there at is. the Gibbs. And so at that exhibition the work that you were just talking about, kind of the seasonal cyclical work mm -hmm. um, is on display? It will be a part of that, yeah. I'll have some paintings, possibly some sculptures. Maria's mm -hmm. gonna have a lot of her um, kind of sculptural pieces, mm -hmm. so. Nice. I'll definitely have a big quilt. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna install two. some lighting as well. Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna do an installation maybe with some of Maria's lighting and, and some of my um, quilts mm -hmm. uh, installed and in, in different orientations, mm -hmm. so. It should be fun, and we'll be doing an artist talk on the 12th um, okay. for that show if people want to come out. May 12th. May 12th, May 12th at 12th. 3 o'clock. May 12th yeah. at 3 o'clock, all right. And that'll be on the Gibbs website as well if um, people are interested in that information. And that's at the Gibbs? At the Gibbs, okay. yeah. So uh, if you've got more questions from Marie and Katie after this, uh, you can go ask them at uh, the Gibbs on May 12th. Um, that's, that's a really cool opportunity. So you're both artists who, you know, I mean, Art in general can be, a, can be, at least in my limited experience, a somewhat isolating uh, phenomenon. So you're alone, depending upon your, your art, right? There are certain forms that, that are more collaborative than others. But by and large, there's at least some chapter of the creation of a new piece of artwork that is, um, that is done sort of like out of the, the, the eye of the public. And you're usually alone to a degree and you're, you know, you're mixing and matching media and you're pulling it together to hopefully create something brand new. Um, talk to me about that experience. I, I'm particularly interested because what you just said, Katie, made me think, well, it reminded me artists do this thing that is sort of isolated and then they like display it and like all the stuff goes into it where you're collaborating and you're thinking of lighting and you're doing it with someone else and you're talking with some electrical person who's like, Hey, you can do the lights there and you're inviting people in and there's that give and take between the audience and the artist. And so suddenly it becomes like a very different thing than it was when you were sort of backstage molding the thing figuratively and, and literally. Talk to me about that a little bit. Do you enjoy that? Or are you like, is it just something I have to do so people can see my art? Or is it is it just part of the process that you've you've learned to kind of take in and to lean into? For me, I see it as sort of an extension of the work, hmm. actually. I'm always trying to bring in, you know, make what I'm doing visible so that the process becomes as visible as possible. Hmm. Um, and I and I see the kind of the conversations around the work as really extensions of the work. I'm also super interested in the creative process. You know, I I, I find it equally as mysterious, I think, <laughs> as anyone else. And so, um, trying to um, you know make that more visible and and something that you can kind of engage in and have a conversation around, I think, is is what art is there for. So um, it, for me, it, it really feeds the work. I, I enjoy that as a, uh, a component of what I'm making and, and often will then kind of take that conversation or that information or that feedback and, and take that into the next piece because it, it tells me kind of what's coming through and what's not coming through in the work mm -hmm. or um, 
what people are taking away from it or, um, you know, it, it helps me also kind of demystify this object that I've just made um, that I'm not always conscious of how, um, you know, how people, different people read it and what they're going to bring to it. You're taking chips from the work and putting it into a new work, and you're also taking feedback from the initial work and then like bringing that to a to a new work. So exactly. you're very uh, there's a there's a tendency Lots it seems like yes recycling <laughs> and progression, and, uh, and and seasonality for sure as you said, uh, Maria. Tell me tell me about your approach. Well, my work because it is so utilitarian. I'm with people a lot, and hmm. I'm building community is a big part of my work and cool. creating objects that are useful daily that are part of ceremony and ritual is really important to me. I also teach classes and I do workshops. And so working with people, inviting them to use their hands with the material is really exciting for me. But I agree with you, Katie, that when people see your work when it's on exhibition and they react to it and they have questions and you see it in a way maybe that you hadn't considered before and then that informs how you're going to move forward with that work. So cool. I agree with that. Yeah, the ceremony, the ritual of it, the performative aspect of it is is particularly interesting to me. Um, and you you mentioned your work as, as utilitarian. Tell me more about how you connect with the end user. What does that process look like? And who are those end users? Is, is it folks in their kitchen who want some beautiful one-of-a-kind vase? And or is it a... Uh, chef, if it's a chef, mm -hmm. who are some of the chefs, or is there a certain type of chef who gravitates towards the work that you create? So the chefs I've worked with, um, usually those works have been um, more decorative, like creating an environment in which they serve their food. Okay. Um, Suzanne Tract, who's in Los Angeles, her restaurant Jar, acronym for just another restaurant, a beautiful sort of mid-century <laughs> designed restaurant. Love it. I designed my first sort of lighting for that space and really happy she's still using it years later so, so tell me about light lighting what do so you mean by trans that i work in porcelain primarily okay and it's a really strong material it's the strongest clay there is but it's translucent which is one of the reasons i love oh, to work wow. with it. it's also really just sort of a delicious material to throw and carve and all all these things also not big. not to eat for those of you i'm assuming <laughs> but you can also um but it's also a little bit of a pain it's it can crack. It's a little temperamental, but okay. it's, but it has this beautiful translucent quality. Wow! So I cast some of my work, or I throw it really thin, and then light just radiates out of wow. it in this really beautiful way. So that keeps me interested in designing new lighting, which I'm working on right now. That's a project I'm working on. And so um, designing lighting means you're actually the individual determining the way in which the light will be broadcasted at the ceramic piece out of it so out whether of it. it's tabletop or it's hanging or it's a sconce and figuring out an interesting way for for the materials to work together cool the, the metal the light love and the it. ceramics yeah i love it you know infinite possibilities which is one of the reasons i'm still in love with clays it's forever humbling and inspiring and right. always something new to do and learn. Well, and the piece extends mm -hmm. beyond its physical self, right? Once you introduce light into the equation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Have you ever done light that's been kind of like m moving on some sort of like continual? Moving. Moving light. Moving I don't know. Light. I don't know what I'm talking about over here. You're like, mm, that just been definitely doing, Just been doing flames work. and bulbs, but you've given me something <laughs> to think about. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you you saying that even though deep in your mind you're like, mm, this kid doesn't know what he's talking about with ceramic lighting. You don't want it moving. Static. Rule number one. Um, no, that's really cool, Maria. Thank you for thank you for like dialing into that. Uh, I, I, 
again, I think it's important for folks who listen to this episode, whether they're listening now live or they're listening to the podcast after the fact, to remember that art is just another endeavor. And at times it's an entrepreneurial endeavor. It's, 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 there are enterprising folks who have a unique perspective on something and something human typically, not always, right? And they want to share that. And in so doing, they run into situations where they've got to market themselves or their work. They've got to sell themselves or their work. And sometimes that's in a monetary way. Sometimes it's not. Um, they've got to engage with other parties. So maybe it's the electrician who's like, you want to do a light this way, this way, this way. Well, based on the structure of the building, we can only do it this way, this way, and this way, right? There's collaboration with other folks who are in this sort of entrepreneurial space. So I guess the point I'm trying to make in a, in a very long-winded way is just artists are just as much, if not more so, I would say, entrepreneurial, adventurous have to be business-minded to a degree. Um, and they're really, you know, sole proprietors or freelancers. Often you're, you're going in alone. You're the CEO, the director of marketing, the associate. You're all of these positions at once. Um, I found that particularly overwhelming. I've, I've toured as a musician for a number of years with my brother and other folks, and I've played in little, you know, haunts and, and, and uh, dives here in Charleston. And all the while, it's like, you know, I've got just enough money after they paid me in beer and a few 20s. Should I pay someone to make a logo or should I make it myself? And you'll try to make it yourself and it doesn't look good. Like that's just kind of a microcosm of what I'm talking about. Tell me more about how entrepreneurial endeavor plays into what you're doing. Is there anything that scared you at first? You thought, well, I'm an artist. I've got to go out there and do X, Y, and Z, but I don't know. I don't know the first thing about Z. And how did you like overcome that? I mean, I think for me, certainly showing the work, you know, exhibiting the work, and it's always a, um, especially when you're working on something new that, um, you know, might not have ever seen the light of day yet, you know, sure. you're, you're, um, or a new song or whatever it may be, um, there's always that kind of intimidation or, or fear of what the response is, especially when you feel like it's something really authentic or, or, um, important to you. I think the hardest part about art is that you're doing all of those things. You know, you're engaging in in um, in all of these entrepreneurial um, tasks, and then at the same time, you're kind of supposed to be questioning the very nature of value. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah. so you're like you're you're hmm. kind of having to value your work and mm -hmm. um, advertise yourself, and then also constantly undermine right. what you're doing. <laughs> Subverting yourself Subverting the, yourself whole time. the whole time. Man. And so um, I think I think it gets really fun and interesting when all of that can be a part of it, you know, when it, when you can just em embrace that kind of um, the dual nature of it and and um, you know, art's maybe a terrible business model. As soon as I do anything <laughs> successful, I'm then I'm on to the next thing. You know, as soon as you solve one problem, you you create a new problem huh. for yourself. You, it's very rare that I uh, make something that I love or everyone loves, and then I make a hundred more. Right. You know, it just doesn't. Right. It's um, interesting. But that's what makes it a great investment too. Everything is so unique and hmm. and um, one of a kind in a way. Mm -hmm. Even even multiples. Huh. Um, exist in a way that that aren't easily uh, 
replicated based on the person and the and the context. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's challenging for sure, but um, fascinating. Do you create prints and sell prints? I uh, have if, like I'll I'll make um, hand I'll take hand prints like I'll do um, car you know linoleum carvings or something mm. like okay. that and and. Um, but I, I don't meaning you're carving a block or something of linoleum with your hands exactly applying ink and then like actually pressing that onto paper exactly so um, but I, I don't um, my work is so textural and and physical that I find that if I for example photograph the work and then just and reprint that because my work isn't very graphic Mm -hmm. um, I'm not super happy with the um, product, but I, I will kind of make my own um, prints by hand, which I find really um, satisfying. And then also it, it's just nice to have things that are different at different price points mm -hmm. that can be affordable and um, entry points for people who might be just starting out collecting or... Um, can't afford, you know, a painting that takes me three months to make, which sure. I then have to sell at a, a certain price point. Sure. So um, it can it can be really nice to kind of open up a, a market to make it as approachable as possible. Hmm. That's Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. What about you, Maria? There's different hats. Thanks, I, Katie. I find it always interesting and challenging at times to wear all those different hats. I mean, self-promotion, hmm. especially now with social media and figuring out what's too much, what's not not enough and mm -hmm. um, you know I came up in a generation where you weren't tooting your own horn all the time mm. I mean, if you got published that was great mm. or, but now it's it's just stay you know quote relevant what do you have to do but I will say I mean social media has been an incredible tool um, for selling ceramics is really in this incredible space right now I mean I I'm it's really an exciting time to be a potter and a ceramic artist there's so many people making and making interesting work and it's the most I think supportive and generous community. It's mm. a clay community. It's pretty exciting. Um, I will say, you know, I've done some independent filmmaking, and I mean, that's also, you know, a whole other art form where, like Katie said, you know, you're doing the art that excites you, that mm. you want to make, and you, you know, also have to make a living. So just trying to figuring, figure out um, who you're going to collaborate with, how you're going to get that work out there so that you can provide for your family. And even when you don't want to wear those hats, when you have to wear them so you can be successful or mm -hmm. try to be more successful. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 ever the struggle. What about hours? I, I, I <laughs> That's a bad question. <laughs> I'm <now>. right. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure there are days. I'm sure it's variable, right? There are probably yes. weeks where it feels like I worked a million hours somehow in these mm -hmm. seven days, and then there are other weeks where they're by the nature of your work, they must be restorative hours, or they must be uh, it, it must be treated as time to either reflect on the entrepreneurial business component of what you're doing or to ruminate on, consider the, you know, stoke the flames of the more artistic component of what you're doing, right? In order to create that art, you're not taking in necessarily, you know, investor money, you're taking in a beautiful vista or something mm -hmm. that's incredibly reductive. But point is there, I'd imagine there is time that's needed to, sort of refill and refuel the artistic engine. So what do, back to my question, what do the hours look like? I mean, I'm curious because we have folks on here who work from home and they're like, yeah, I do the, you read the two hour work week book? Like I, I do that. Or there are folks who are like, you've got to grind. I work, you know, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, six days a week. 
I'm curious how you fold all of these important aspects of what you do into sort of a non-artistic, very boring, very routine five-day work week. What does it look like for an artist in Charleston, or at least one of these two artists in Charleston? I'd also like to say we'd be happy to take investor money if, <laughs> uh, if there's anyone out there. Yeah. But um, uh, my hour, my sweet spot lately has been 10 to 10. So I will uh, take breaks throughout that and um, have you know some meals. And obviously that's not all uh, labor. You know I, sure. I do a lot of painting and carving and things that are very physical. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I've also been getting ready for a show. So I've been working. Um, a little bit over time to to try and make that happen but 10 to 10 seems to be something i can maintain right now so you give so yourself a little wow. time to start the day right and then you launch right into a 12 like hour also, work I like day i also say i don't have children so that's <laughs> i have maria a, i'm sure yes. has a different schedule i mean i think when before i had kids Super and i was admiral. able to do i was more of a night owl and i was yeah. able to do those things but um I reluctantly became a morning person after having children. And so now for me, I'm sort of beholden to the school day Okay. Um, sure. as far as that in the studio time. And then I've learned to, because my my process is so time sensitive and then we have firing schedules. So I fire my work sometimes three times and those mm. can be anywhere from 12 to 18 hour firings. So it's a lot of planning and just figuring out what's going to work. But I you know, have to go get my kids from school and then I have commitments. Uh, so really I try to work I find I've learned I'm the most productive if I can get my work done as much as possible while they're in school. Sure. And then um, when there's things that, you know, absolutely need to do, just trying to give myself some grace and get help. I've gotten a lot better over the years, and I would say that to anyone who's a working artist parent or just working parent is just delegating and accepting help when it's offered. And, you know, you have a community. You help each other out. Um, those of us that are artists, and we are – hustling and working mm-hmm. hours that not you're not necessarily getting paid for all those right, hours right. it's finding creative ways to meet those deadlines hmm. and accept help and my kids come to the studio with me sometimes they just always have and i'm like you know cool you they probably it. love it sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> i think it's lost its luster sometimes but they actually they do they've loved they've been fortunate to get to meet so many different artists and makers that's so. pretty cool are they artists you know they enjoy making art they enjoy working with clay cool. yeah that's awesome so it's so I think it's so important to have those those um, components, those materials, uh, you know, in, that inspiration close at hand at a very young age. And uh, you know, who knows? You could probably talk endlessly, depending on who's in the room, whether it's a biophysicist or a poet about whether it's nature or nurture or some combination. Mm-hmm. I tend to believe it's probably some combination, like like most things. Um, but that's really, really cool that your kids are so fortunate to have, you know, a, a mom they can look up to who has not just, you know, something to say about how they can improve that finger painting, but <laughs> has like literally physical clay there that they can then start molding. I mean, how cool. I mean, I was fortunate to have clay in art classes in public school mm-hmm. growing up, but not everyone is. And, and, and how do you know that you do or don't have a skill or an interest in developing a skill if you don't have that at your fingertips, literally? So uh, that's really, I think that's great that you kind of mold it around the day and, and your kids are becoming kind of part of that process. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the auxiliary, ancillary, peripheral pro- 
projects in both of your lives that may or may not complement the art you do and the way that you view the world artistically. I want to start with you, Maria, because I'm thinking of Mugs for Moms. I want you to, if you would, share a little bit more about the nonprofit you started here in Charleston a year ago. Absolutely. So Mugs for Moms um, came out of a desire to help raise awareness about maternal mental health. After the birth of my first child, I suffered from a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. I had postpartum depression and OCD. And this is when I was living in Los Angeles. I was fortunate to get care and get well, but it was always something that anyone that survives it is something that stays with you. Um, and you're, and I was always curious about what's being done and how there's so many women that are affected by this and so many families. So when we moved here to Charleston seven years ago, there was an event at Cone 10 Studios, which used to be down the street, no longer exists. And they had this event called Empty Bowls, which has been around since the 80s. Um, potters all over the world do this effort. They make bowls, and people come, they buy a ticket, fill the bowl with soup, and then the money goes to oh, wow. benefit a soup kitchen or to combat hunger. It's the, it's Beautiful. And that, that can happen anywhere. It's necessary everywhere. So I had this moment. I thought, wow, what if we could do something like this for moms? And so then um, Mugs for Moms was born, really. And so we had the first one in 2019. And Potters made cups and mugs. And then we did some collaborations, which was really exciting. And then it was canceled in 2020. And then 2021, we had it at Redux Contemporary Arts Center. And it was a huge success. And we collaborators from psychiatrists to musicians wow. to artists. Cool. I believe everyone has a voice in clay. But um, So Love that was it. really exciting. We had some hotshot potters that donated from all over the U.S. But then we also had local people that would come in work with clay with different artists and because yeah. um, mental health is is health so we were, we're trying to raise more awareness and now we're having um, what are called muddy meetups and we have we're working with um, musc's arts and healing we have an art therapist cool. at them or a reproductive psychiatrist or a maternal health care professional say a doula that's going to talk about nutrition and if it's somebody struggling with infertility someone who's just had a baby pregnant thinking about getting pregnant we offer that um, as a space to build community, and it's free. And when I was at the Gibbs, they, we fortunately got to do three of those, which was really exciting Incredible. to use that space for that. Are there opportunities for folks listening in to get involved in some way, shape, or form with that nonprofit? Absolutely. If anyone's interested in volunteering, um, please let me know. We are going to also try to do one for fathers in June, around Father's Day. But we want to keep this ongoing. And if you know somebody who's pregnant or someone who just had a baby, we can get them information. And we'd be happy to. So um, we work closely with Postpartum Support Charleston as well as Postpartum Support International. And our event on May 14th at Redux Contemporary Arts Center, tickets will, will go on sale April 22nd. Okay, mark um, your calendars. Please mark your calendars. Um, we will also um, raise funds to help benefit Moms Impact, which will be a brand new statewide program hmm. that will offer support to moms that are suffering from substance abuse and mental health, um, mental illness and for their providers to offer um, support. Incredible. have insurance. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing how our community has come together for this effort, the creative community and the, and the mental health care community as well. Amazing. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you're making it. That, that's a lot, right? I mean, you've, you've taken on a lot, and, and, and it's been one year. Is that right? 
I guess so. Yeah, but it feels longer because I don't know. The, uh, it's just the last year it has doesn't, been. It doesn't. Yeah. It feels like a whirlwind the last two years. But yes, in the past year, um, it's been pretty exciting to see how it's grown. That's that's really cool. Well, good good for you. I look Thank forward you. to seeing big things happening with mugs for moms. If you're listening in and you're interested in getting involved in some way, shape, or form, supporting mugs for moms or um, syncing up with Maria on one of their upcoming events, then be sure to reach out to Maria. MariaWhite.com would be good for that as well. Sure, or, or MugsForMoms.org. MugsForMoms.org. That's the official URL of the nonprofit site. If you're just tuning in, this is Steve Fletcher with Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. This is a product or an initiative or a program. It's something. Maybe it's all three of those of Low Country Local First. We're a local economic development nonprofit based right here in the Low Country of South Carolina. We advocate for, we support, um, we create programming for local independent businesses and local entrepreneurs who want to better themselves, want to better the community, want to create sustainable long-term pathways to success for their families through generations. Um, and we do that through a number of different ways. But I'm lucky enough to be able to come here every other Monday at 12.30 p.m., join Grace, who's the new and amazing station manager at OM 96.3 FM, and talk a little bit about what's so great about living here in the low country, particularly as someone who's involved um, meaningfully in the fiber of the ecosystem. That can be an entrepreneur. It can be a business owner. It can be the leader of a nonprofit. It can also be, as we're learning today, an artist or an artisan, or in Maria's case, someone who works with ceramics and makes film, or in Katie's case, a visual artist who creates really important, interesting, creative, baby wipe accompanied <laughs> uh, visual art, oil painting. She's scraping things from one painting, putting it into another. There's a real uh, or- organicism to her work that, uh, that I think y'all should check out. I was trying to save it from the baby wipe thing because people who just tuned in, they're going to be like, what is this baby wipe art? art. Uh, it's really cool <laughs> stuff. Check it out. Katie Mixon, Maria White. So we've got a little bit more time here, just under 10 minutes. I want to uh, dial into a few more things if, if you all have the time. Um, let's go way back. So we talked about now. We talked sort of a little bit about what motivates you, inspires you as an artist now. Um, and you're both living in here in the low country. So presumably there's a, a give and take, whether we're, we're looking at what you all do artistically or entrepreneurially. How did you get into art? So let's go back to sort of the the beginnings. I'm always interested in a business's or a business owner's genesis story. And as an artist, I feel the same way about about art and artists. How did you decide this is for me? This should be an important part of my life. We'll start with you, Katie. Um, for me, it was uh, really through school, I guess, through co- in college. I I. Um, you know, was always sort of a collector of things and um, and liked to write and and draw to an extent. But really, it was uh, starting to take college courses and and really think about the history of art and that this was a um, a possible you know viable sort of I don't know career, but. Um, at least pathway that that people take, and I fortunately had a great mentor who happened to be a musician and the head of the um, orchestra at the school that I was at, and really encouraged me to, you know, keep pursuing what it was that I was naturally drawn to. 
Um, I also do some bookkeeping on the side. So um, kind of maintain a, a balance between the, the art and um, commerce. But were you studying the uh, were you studying bookkeeping and accounting in college alongside the art? No, I wasn't. I was kind of all over the place. I was I was taking as many different classes as possible just trying to figure out what what was going to stick mm-hmm. and uh, kept gravitating towards art classes. So um, both history and and studio and just kind of fell in love with it. Um, it just was like a whole new world to me that you know, to that point hadn't had much access to. So really um, fell head over heels. And then after college, ended up moving to Charleston um, right after that, actually, and uh, worked downtown in a gallery for a little while. Oh, and cool. just What gallery? It was um, Charles II, which is no longer there, actually. Okay. It's Robert Lang now um, in that space. But Were they doing the art walks back when you were, were working there? They okay. were. We would do the art walks. We worked with um, Fred... Um, Fred Omar, who's a painter okay. downtown. Mm. I don't know if you work, know his work. For um, those listening in, unfamiliar art walks are a really cool thing that the the galleries downtown in Charleston have collaboratively put together. Offers people the opportunity to come um, look at art across many different galleries. They stay open later than usual, and they can sip a little wine, eat a little cheese at each location, and it becomes really an event. And I know I've learned about a lot of cool local artists through that. Yeah, just like the you know, like the open studio at the Gibbs, it was hmm. it was really cool to it's a it's a nice way to be able to experience a lot of different spaces and a lot of different types of art. You know, you see a lot at one time, so mm-hmm. you can get a real feel for what you're drawn to and um, maybe what you'd want to return on a less busy night and actually spend some time with. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. I took art class. Uh, everyone's like, Steve, stop uh, giving us information about your life. It's not where we're tuning in to Katie Mixon <laughs> and Maria White's interview. Uh, but I, I have to I have to mention here because it, it spurred it, it, it fired some synapse that I had repressed in my brain. Um, and a therapist would say, well, that doesn't mean you should share it immediately. But I have to say art class An college would say, you do. Yeah. say oh, sure. here's a piece of paper. <laughs> An artist would Good say point. go for that and instinct. just draw just what you're doing. Yeah, really, yeah, mold it out. <laughs> um so I maybe I should be molding some clay as I yeah. say this. Um I uh do you have clay on you? Maria like almost sure. went for a pocket. I, I, I thought like, she was about to produce little... some raw yeah. Play. Oh, that'd be great. I took art classes and I remember we had to remember some ungodly number of of paintings over the course of some ungodly number of years. I, I, I wanted to get into art history, but I think the program I was in was maybe biting off more than it could chew and it was the program's fault. But I, for whatever reason, just found myself unable to memorize the huge chunks of information I had to memorize for the, totally. for the exam. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you that. had that experience, but it was like I was looking for numbers in the landscape of some oak tree laden vista, like to say, okay, this was like 1721. And if yeah. I look, that tree is a, a one, <laughs> that bird is a seven. And I was like, okay, it, it was, it was insane. Um, <laughs> but that's cool to know that that did not dissuade you. I don't know if you had some form of that, but at first I was like, okay, this might not be for me. And then you went on to get your MFA. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. Um, all in North Carolina actually at, um, UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah, cool. it it does. It is one of those things that has you know. There's a lot of information, I guess, and you can really get kind of bogged down in names and dates and um, movements. 
But um, for me, it was just really exciting to have something go from this sort of uh, kind of decorative tradition mm -hmm. or, um, um, you know, kind of like a secondary way of, of maybe being in the world mm -hmm. um, to something really necessary and important hmm. and to really kind of see people... Um, you know, sacrificing whatever it may be, time or, or, you know, financial success or to kind of pursue something that they felt was uh, really necessary to uh, also exist against everything else and um, to, to be more of a mirror for that than, um, you know, a wallpaper. So yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, Maria, Exciting. tell us a little bit about your Genesis story as an artist. What drew you to art and to making art originally? And how did you sort of foster that at the beginning? So I grew up um, in a creative family. My dad was a commercial graphic designer, had his own advertising agency. This is in Las Vegas. And my mother was primarily self-taught and was always painting or designing clothes for my sisters and I. So it was around making whether it be craft or design or fine art. So I was always drawing or making something, but it wasn't until high school I started, started really playing with clay. And then in college, I had every intention to go into sculpture primarily hmm. and had to learn to throw, which is when you're make, working on the potter's wheel. And I was actually really horrible at it. It was really tough for me. And Throw I, is the verb used for creating exactly. something mm -hmm. out of clay on one of those wheels. For turning. Got it. Clay down. Got so, it. Okay. So I, I learned to throw. It was part of the curriculum, and it was it was challenging. And then I just completely fell in love with it once it clicked, and then had to figure out how am I going to make a living doing this. Sure. Luckily, I was a, a good bartender, and <laughs> <laughs> waited a lot of tables. And at that time, after You're throwing people out of bars, throw, exactly and throwing clay out of the wheel, exactly. <laughs> So after that, I um, was fortunate that my college professor at the time, when I wanted to move to San Francisco but I couldn't afford it, said, you know, in Charleston, a colleague named Susan Philly just opened up a clay collective called Clayworks, and this was in 2000. It was the first collective, communal clay collective that was here. Hmm. It was on Pinckney Street. Oh, cool. And I was fortunate to work with her and some amazing potters that I'm still close with today. And she encouraged me to go to this magical place called Penland School of Craft. And I was able to go there, take a workshop with an amazing artist who's become my mentor, who I've ended up apprenticing with, taught workshops with, and then kind of full circle, ended up working with my husband, who I collaborate a lot with. And we made um, a documentary about his, his life oh, cool. or his retrospective work. So been an interesting ride oh, very cool that's a piece of your work I don't think we've really talked a about enough but I mean I'm a huge fan of documentaries I know many mm -hmm. people are um, tell me a little bit more about your film the filmmaking side to what you do and who you are so for filmmaking I um, I've always loved film I've always loved cinema um, I I knew I wanted to get involved in film I wasn't sure how and when my then boyfriend now husband and I was First started dating, we volunteered at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, cool! And got to see all these amazing films sure. there, and something just sort of a light went off, and I was like, I really want to get involved in the making of films. And we made a few shorts together. I mostly produced, and then I, the first film I directed was about ten years ago, and it was a documentary about female hunters here in the southeast. 
um, called The Debutant Hunters. And mm-hmm. since then, I've done some other narratives. What's it called? The Debutant Hunters? The Debutant Hunters. Cool. about 10 years ago. And um, since then, balancing life with Clay or occasionally making a film. Um, but the next project I'd balancing like... Balancing life with Clay may be the memoir. <laughs> How do you? How does one center, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, but Clay really, and working in Clay um, really feeds my soul in a way like nothing else does. Cool. Um, I love making films when I get to, but um, ceramics is something I can do every day. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. So. That's awesome. I think you're probably stretching different parts of your mind and your heart and your psyche when you're doing film as opposed to Clay. Truly. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I, listen, I, I wish we had five more hours. We're coming up to the end of it here. I want to make sure we give you both an opportunity to give us a parting thought where folks can find your work. I know we talked, we threw a lot of dates around, maybe pick the, the most important couple of dates and times, uh, website URLs, throw in all the contact info. We want to make sure that people know how to patronize and support and connect with Maria White and Katie Mixon, two phenomenal local artists here in the Low Country, we're lucky to say that they call South Carolina their homes. I'm going to pass it over to both of them, but first, um, I'm going to I'm going to duck out, so to speak, vocally, and make sure to thank Ohm 96.3 FM for making all this possible. They're an incredible community-backed, community-oriented, community-powered radio station here in the Low Country, based right here on Meeting Street. We're sitting in their sunny studio right now. We're really fortunate to be able to use this space. Thank you to Grace, thank you to Vicki Matsis, thank you to Media Reform SC, everyone who has made this possible. And I'm just gonna put a little plug in for both the radio station and this show. We are finalists for the City Paper Best Local Radio Show, Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. Make sure you navigate to the City Paper's website to vote for this show if you feel so inclined i'm not forcing you to but if you feel moved if the spirit moves you if you think we deserve (laughs) it please throw a vote our way it's an australian ballot so we won't know if you voted for someone else but just tell me you did it'll make me feel a little bit better and make sure to vote for ohm radio best local radio station they are also a finalist they're one of four or five finalists be sure to vote for them uh on that city paper ballot all right that's enough for me Back to our guests. They're going to close it out for us. We're going to do Katie, then Maria. Please share with us important websites, important dates, how folks can get in touch with you. Go. Yeah, so I'm Katie Mixon, and you can get in touch with me through my website, mixonstudio.com. That's M as in Mary, I-X-O-N, studio.com. And you can come see me at the Gibbs. We'll have, Maria and I will have our show opening May 6th with an artist talk at 3 p.m. on May 12th. Uh, so come ask questions, see the work in person. Awesome, awesome, cool. And Maria. And I'm Maria White, and you can find me um, on my website at mariawhite.com or on social media at Maria White Studio on Instagram. And please uh, send me a message if you would like to come by for a studio visit. Also, um, would like to remind you that Mugs for Moms, our event will be May 14th at Redux Contemporary Arts Center. Tickets will go on sale for in-person tickets on April 22nd. There will also be an online auction that anyone can check out from anywhere. Cool. So please follow us at uh, mugsformoms.org. Perfect. Thank you both very Thank much. That was informative. That was, that, was, that was excellent. Appreciate you being here. This was Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve. And now we will hand it over to, to Grace. Thank you all.